1: Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. You know, I don't like all politicians. I dislike a great number of politicians. But there's one guy who really intrigues me and always has. And I read his book and I was even more intrigued. His name is Dan Crenshaw. He's out of Texas. He's joining us today.
0: Now it's the Michelle Tafoya podcast.
1: Saturday Night Live has been part of the American lexicon for 50 years. And not every politician wants to step onto that stage. And quite frankly, that stage isn't friendly to every politician. But Dan Crenshaw went on. And Pete Davidson and Dan Crenshaw had this back and forth going with some Ariana Grande ringtones and some iPads jokes. And it was remarkable. Dan Crenshaw had the chutzpah, the guts, the the courage to go on that show and take the incoming He's written this book called Fortitude, which I highly recommend. I actually listened to the audio book too. And uh, it's tremendous. It's, you have no idea what they go through um, in Navy SEALs. No idea until you read this book. Anyway. Dan Crenshaw is going to be with us, and I am fired up, but I'm also fired up to tell you about this breaking news. GenuCell has upgraded their most popular package to feature their top-selling deep-firming vitamin C serum plus ultra-retinol moisturizer with natural retinol alternative. And right now, you can take advantage of this limited-time package upgrade for 70% off. 70%. Why waste time and money to get work done to your face? When you can get Genucel skincare shipped right to your door. Here's a Genucel.com review from Robert in Blessing, Texas. I purchased Genucel as a gift for my girlfriend. She said she saw results so fast, we joined their concierge program immediately. It's honestly the best skincare she's ever used and is extremely impressed with all the Genucel products. Her skin is noticeably softer and smoother. I can see and feel a difference too. She was already beautiful, and Genucel has made her more beautiful. That's not only adorable, It's uh, I'm going to say it's true because it's happened for me as well. Genucel Secret is a family recipe for over 20 years that makes it safe for all skin types and perfect for men and women. Uh, it's made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches, always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. So now go to genucelcom slash Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, One L and save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package featuring both the Genucel Ultra Retinol and Genucel Firming Serum. Love that stuff. Don't wait. Go to com slash Michelle. Genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L. Dot com slash Michelle with one L get a complimentary spa essentials box with every package order plus free upgrade to priority shipping. Go to Genucel.com slash Michelle Genucel.com slash M I C H E L E Congressman Dan Crenshaw of the great state of Texas. I'm so glad you could join us. Thanks for being here. I uh, so that you know and I said this earlier listen to your book on the uh, on audible uh absolutely loved it i have a copy of it but i listened to it and i found it really motivating and also really astonishing that you've been through as much as you've been through uh so i recommend it to everybody um i hope the book has done well for you how are you
2: doing well yeah and thanks for thanks for the shout out on the book uh worked hard on it um it was timely, came out right in the middle of COVID. So didn't realize yeah. how timely it would be. Um, so it did pretty well because everybody was, everybody was like, what the hell do I do? So they, oh, reading might be a good call. So yeah, I <laughs> got, got a lot of, got a lot of good sales from it. Um, thank you. Well,
1: not, and, and I, I hope that it motivated people during that awful stretch as it did me. I mean, because it, 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 Kind of gave perspective on a lot of things. And it, it was a, there were many, many good lessons on how to deal with a lot of crap that was, that, you know, in retrospect could have been worse for a lot of people. So, uh, I appreciated that you are dealing with Congress right now. And I, in my lifetime, I've never seen uh, this country as divided. I'm sure in its history, it has been obviously, but how day to day. How do you keep your outlook on the future and hoping that some smart, common sense, correct decisions will be made for this country?
2: Well, the only way to really keep hope is to understand that it's actually really hard to screw up America. <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually your only hope. Um, wow. I, Joe Biden's it,
1: making it look pretty easy, if you asked me, but go ahead. <laughs>
2: yeah well here's here 's what I mean i mean it, it America is hard to screw up as much as Joe Biden wants to do. he actually gets very little of what he wants across the finish line and you know it it the po- political rhetoric is often infused with a lot of doomsday rhetoric about people suffer right The word suffering is thrown around every every other sentence but let 's yeah. be honest no, yeah. in twenty twenty three the human race is suffering less than it 's ever suffered in the history of mankind's and in America, that's especially true. So, if we're just being honest about perspective, right? Like, if it you mentioned my book, I mean, the first chapter in my book is called "Perspectives from Darkness" because nobody has any perspective anymore. Everyone thinks they have it worse than everyone else all the time, and this leads to yep. this kind of sense of victimhood. And so, look, nothing is ever going to be perfect, and we don't like who's in charge, we don't like their policies, and they do think they make things worse than they need to be. That's all true. But it's hard to screw up America. It's hard to get it's hard to make massive sweeping change. The what you know, the things you see, the revolutionary kind of changes you see in other countries. It's impossible here in the United States because of our Constitution, because of our checks and balances and because our federal of our federalist system. Um, it also makes people very frustrated, feel like they can never get anything done. But remember, if you can't get anything done, neither can the other people. Um, the other reason that we yeah. we're just lucky and it 's hard to screw up the american experiment is is because of our geography um, mostly uh, our our resources our, our 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 inner culture is still one of of resilience and entrepreneurship and and you know that 's a strength that isn 't going away anytime soon it 's hard to invade the United States of America we have excellent trading partners there there 's still a lot going for us so if you, if you want some kind of optimism, that, that's what it is. But as far as our politics <laughs> go, they've, they've become deeply foolish in many, many ways. I mean, the, the divide, the partisanship is only one aspect of that. It's, it's driven by, by, a, by almost like an outrage culture like this. And it, it, it's the American public that is, that is, that is more and more begun to desire that their politics looks a lot more like the Jerry Springer show than, you know, yeah. the sort of highly esteemed debate that it's supposed to be. And voters have to change that. Voters have to stop incentivizing their leaders to act that way. And so this is on everybody, right? And people like to point fingers at Washington. Look how divided they are. No, they're divided because you ask them to be, because you demand that they be, mm-hmm. because that if somebody, cause if, cause if somebody goes and works with somebody on the other side on something, what happens? They get a primary opponent. So your own voters mm-hmm. demand that you dislike and, and, and refuse to work with. The other side on, on, on common sense things. And on some things, that, the, some of the, you know, one of the points of being in politics is to disagree uh, without going to war. So, you know, there's a plenty of things we're always going to disagree on, and, and that's okay. Um, but, but, but that, but that should be driven by principles and, and, and that's changed into being driven solely by, by wearing a different Jersey. So driven by partisanship instead of principles. Yeah. And that's, that, that's a, that's a problem.
1: Well, and, and you said that voters don't want to see, that voters don't want to see people reach across the aisle or cooperate is how much can be done behind the scenes with little risk of either Jersey, you know? if if you get together with someone from a, with a different jersey behind the scenes and you get something done is that fraught with peril as well or or does that stuff happen that we don't know about
2: it it always depends on what the something is um like there, there is plenty of bipartisan legislation, plenty, plenty, plenty. It's it's on it's on your more heated topics where where compromise is, is is almost impossible, and it's not necessarily because of the people up here; it's because of who the people up here answer to. Um, so, look, I mean, every every day you might have bipartisan bills. You know, when we're not voting on some kind of big meaningful bill, like a debt ceiling negotiation. <laughs> You know, we're voting on other random stuff uh, like today that's just random bipartisan stuff. It ain't changing the world, but it's fixing little problems. So, 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 you know, again, the flip side of what I'm saying is a lot of there's a lot of smaller uh, agreements and bills that go through just fine. Um, and there's there's th- those pro- those outnumber the bigger contentious bills uh, by quite a bit. So maybe that gives some people hope as well.
1: That that gives me a little bit. Um, one of the things, you know, you say it's hard to screw up America. I I, I hope and pray that you're right. One of the areas that seemed to change on a dime, once this administration stepped into the Oval, was the the security of the border or lack thereof. And I know there's been a lot of legislation that's been proposed, and you know, you've split with the GOP on some of it, and you're trying to come up with other things. Where do we stand right now? Because I, I, we're seeing stuff at the border that isn't pretty for anybody and then you know it becomes politicized in new york and other cities that try to say uh you know governor abbott's racist for sending migrants to cities that are governed by black mayors i mean it's 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 insanity but there is a real problem there where are we on that
2: well, yeah, I mean, look, it'll start at the beginning of what you said. Yeah. As soon as Biden took office, you saw a massive change in, in border policy. He got rid of the remain in Mexico policy. He got rid of a lot of the Trump era policies, which which was first and foremost, a signal to anyone who wanted to come across that they that they'd probably be able to come across and be let loose inside the United States. And that's exactly what happened for a couple of years. Um We've been making noise about this and drawing attention to it for literally years. And the Democrats don't listen. They don't listen. Um, he, here's how here's how they think about it. Right. So because so there's plenty of Democrats who, who will quietly admit that it's a serious problem that needs to be addressed. But the, as, as a party, they are really, really afraid of kind of your, your radical pro-immigrant groups um, that, have, that are very well funded and will, uh, will, will make sure that any Democrat that sides with us on the issue gets primaried in a hell of a way. So they they're really afraid of that left flank of their party and uh, as a result they they sort of they, they do their best to talk around this issue. What you're seeing recently is okay everybody knows Title 42 uh, expired. Now mm-hmm. Title 42 is it was a COVID related, you know, authority. So you know, COVID is obviously not the issue we're worried about at the moment, but we we're, we we're Republicans or Republicans are worried about Title 42 expiring was simply because it was it was doing more to keep the border uh, problem at bay. Um, yeah. So the Biden administration did come out with a whole bunch of new policies on how they're going to deal with it, with the expiration of Title Forty Two. Now, those are decent policies. There is some loopholes. I mean, they're not they're not my policies. I would I would go much further, but I can't look at those policies and say no, I am against that, right? Because I, I am for anything that will secure the border just a little bit more. I am for anything that will do that. And so I will I will just be honest and objective and say, yeah, th- th- these things are good. Um, if you implement them, if you implement them, because yeah. the, the reality is, is the the entire problem at the border, is it just a lack of will to enforce the law? So if they're going to enforce the policies that they're talking about, we'll be in a better place. And you have seen a really drastic decrease in, 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 in confrontations at the border, or encounters, as they call them. So one of the right. things we need to do is like as, as we as we collect this data is assess whether they're just letting people in through a different process that's you know, more orderly which is a lot of times what Democrats are trying to do. Now, I don't know that that's true here. We need to see the numbers, and it's very early, so we we don't have those numbers exactly yet. But we are seeing a massive decrease in people coming, like, trying to push their way across because they are worried about being deported now because of the new policies. So that's good. Now, will that last? We aren't sure. Um, Probably not, because what's happening is... Everybody on the other side of the border, most of the cartels who operationalize this, they're assessing. They're saying, yes. okay, well, what's the real deal? How, how are they actually going to do this? You know, And they're waiting and assessing, and then they'll figure out what the loopholes are, and they'll try to exploit them. And as long as the administration lets them, they'll continue to exploit them. If they, if they crack down on it, it'll be a good day for us. So we're, we're, in, a, we're in an interesting um, observational period right now and seeing what happens on the border.
1: A couple of questions come up from everything you just said. First of all, you said the left has these groups that are very well funded that that want this mass immigration. And, and so these politicians on the left are afraid of these groups and afraid of getting primaried and, and these well funded. Who who is funding these leftist groups that are pretty radical on this immigration stuff?
2: Well, I don't know. I, we we could find out. I'm sure. I mean, like, there's and I have to. We could look it up real quick, but no, I, okay. I don't have the details. So I, just, I just, I, I just, I, gotcha, I see their ads. Gotcha. I see, I see what they're doing. You know what I mean? And I know, I know, my Democrats my colleagues here are, are are super afraid of them. Just, just like, just like Republicans can be afraid of really far right wing groups, whether that's media groups or actual super PACs, whatever it is. Um, you know, there's a lot of money in these causes, and so when you know, this is something voters should understand. it, when, when when people refuse to compromise up here, a lot of times, and, and a lot of times you hear, well, what you know, politicians don't want to compromise on a, on a border or immigration issue because because they, they like the politics of it too much. It's too good of a fundraising issue. That's not really true. It's too good of a fundraising issue for the outside groups that want to keep it going because they actually literally make money off of it. We don't make any okay. money off of any issue as a politician. I mean, we fundraise for our campaign. That doesn't help us personally. But there are people out there who who whatever cause it is, whether it's immigration or some other issue, their entire livelihood is based upon sucking in donations, paying their own salaries with those donations and, you know, being being the stalwart activist on any given issue. This is true on the left and the right. And they, they will come after you. They'll call, uh, on the right, they'll call you a rhino if you ever do anything that, that goes outside right. of their puritanism. Now they're not really true believers most of the time. They're just making money off of the cause and, and kind of tricking people into believing that they're, they're where you go for the ultimate, you know, purest belief, whether, again, whether it's left or right. So that's a, yeah. that's a quick explanation. Of, of-
1: Both yeah, no, together. but it's an honest one, too, because as you said, it's it's on both sides. And generally, most things are uh, the cartels are obviously also in this for money, right? They they, and power and control and the drug trafficking and so forth. To what lengths should America go to stand up to these cartels that seem to be just having their way with us?
2: I mean, I think we should go pretty far, Um you know, I've introduced uh, authorized use of military force against them. Uh, we, we there, there's a law enforcement aspect to this, and there's a military aspect to this. Um, they're both complementary. You know, you, you have to have a law enforcement aspect because you got to deal with cartels when they're when they're operating inside the United States, right? Then it's no longer a military issue. You, you, you have to use law enforcement to do that. Um, but you, you really have to hit them where 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 their operational home is, and of course, that's in Mexico. Um, so it's a multifaceted approach. You've you got to get the Mexican government to actually be on our side on this. Uh, they've always been reluctant to, to work with the U.S. when it comes to security concerns. They're, they're, they're deeply paranoid about their sense of sovereignty and whatnot. So uh, unlike many other countries that we often work with when it comes to you know, battling insurgencies or cartels or terrorists, whatever it is, Mexico always been a difficult partner on this. Um, that needs to change. That needs to change. So there, there's we should be doing a lot. I would love to see our military hardware uh, supporting Mexican operations to to uh, battle the cartels and take them out once and for all.
1: Yeah, I wonder how much of that government reluctance to work with the United States has to do with fear or uh, compromise by these cartels. I mean, it's hard not to imagine that there's a lot of corruption out there at the top. I, how. How would you assess that as being a factor in all this?
2: It definitely can be it kind of it depends on which level of government you're, you're talking about. So, um, you know, when uh, the president of Mexico reacted so strongly to my AUMF uh, bill, I had to wonder, you know, is he is this because he's, he's secretly embedded with the cartels? You know, I don't know. Um Mexican government is a, in politics is a very complex topic. So uh, Mexico in particular has a, is a much more jealous sense of their sovereignty than probably any other ally that we have. So there's a, there's a, there's that's a cultural issue that's, that runs very, very deep with Mexico. Um, you know, let's, let's not forget our history between you know, Texas and Mexico. Right, so right. it's not that surprising. I mean, they're our number one ally in many ways. Um, but, but on this particular issue, you know, they're, they're like, no, we'll do it ourselves. Don't, no, no gringos here. I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly that kind of attitude. Um, and then of course there's fear of, um, of starting a bloody, violent and, you know, civil war within your country. But, you know, my answer to that is you, you, you've got to start now, right? The, the longer you wait, the more ingrained they get, the harder it is to, to exercise this demon. And, you know, Mexico is our most important country uh, as far as allies go by far our most important. I mean, I, I tell people, go through this thought experiment. Go through this thought exercise. Say, pick one country in the world besides your own that you think should be 10 times better. And if you could just wave a magic wand, you'd make it 10 times better in every single way. Which country would you choose? You better choose Mexico. If you're, if you're smart, if you have any idea of what you're doing, you would choose Mexico. So like we have every interest in, in, in Mexican prosperity and success
1: and And we send them so much tourism, which is uh, it's unbelievable to me, uh, especially i like i i I personally I wouldn't go there right now, but a lot of people do, and they're fine with it, and they feel safe and and a lot of American tourism dollars go to mexico. um but yeah, the, it is an interesting thought process that you you ask people to to go through, but it's also just like we're there's i mean sometimes it's overwhelming, and I can't imagine being in your shoes. Uh, maybe you feel you have some measure of control that I don't understand, but um it's it, there are so many issues. But the fentanyl, the 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 immigration, the illegal immigration and just this unwillingness to work with us as a partner is so disturbing to me that I just I just wonder how much further this can go. Do you do you? There are a lot of politicians out there and you strike me differently. You don't just say whatever the narrative is, which I appreciate. Um, So a lot of people want to say that, you know, this is exactly what Biden and company want. This is what his really progressive base wants. They want all these new quote unquote voters to come from south of the border, be grateful to them for letting them in and vote Democrat. Is that, is that their calculus? Do you think, or is that a, a too easy an answer?
2: Yeah, it's definitely too easy to have an answer. Like you said, like I don't, I don't just kind of repeat whatever, you know, tagline. You know, my side wants me to say, say it, Dan, say it. I always find it funny.
0: Yeah, why would you say it? because ah, you're
2: a rhino. <laughs> it's like, grow oh, up. Uh, it's, it's, people need to grow up. Um, it, yeah. but, but now the sentiment isn't totally untrue. My, my theory on it is it's, it's like a second. It's like they're aware of that possibility and they're, and they're happy about it, but it's very secondary. I think you got to dive deeper into their psychology to understand why they really don't care about this. Um, so I've already given you one explanation, right? They're actually just afraid yeah. of the, 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 I think, well-funded groups that are, are pro-immigration. So that's that's a political reason. Um the but the the main reason is uh, your your average liberal is just wired differently. They they don't they don't really attach a lot of uh moral value to what you would call in-group loyalty. So kind of protecting your team. Um conservatives are weary of outsiders. That's that's ingrained into our psychology. We're like, ah, we should have borders, we should be, I don't know, we should have a process for people coming in, you know, we should have defenses up. Like that's a very sort of Old traditional conservative psychology—you um, you can't escape it. It's hardwired into your brain, and, and people are hardwired differently. And I, I think into two main groups, and this is why every country you've ever been to—they you know, call them different things—but everybody has a Democrat and Republican party. There's always a left and a right, and right. and it's based on these kind of th- these psychological differences. And that and the main one of the there's many, but the main one is this sort of. Um, this 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 valuing of of defense and in group loyalty, conservatives have it to a much higher level than liberals do. The explanation is probably that simple. They they truly don't understand why it's a problem. Like they they can't compute it. They're like, oh, it's fine. I mean, they seem nice. So just let them in. Compassion. So like compassion in their minds overrides everything. Now it's a very mm-hmm. superficial sense of compassion because you know we we could obviously point to all of the secondary effects that are obviously not compassionate and not fair. Right. You know, maybe right. to, whether it's to, to the to the hellhole of the humanitarian crisis that's happening at the border or whether we're talking about the fact that all of these people are really just cutting the line in front of other uh, deserving immigrants or, or, or maybe asylum seekers who now can't access our system because it's so clogged up by these people who just cut the line. How is that fair? How is that moral? How is yeah. that compassionate? So it, but that's a better explanation. In my, and, you know, after dealing with this debate for so long and observing them and understanding, like, how they think. Um, they're 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 not conniving enough, frankly. They're not strategic enough to be like, and we'll get everybody in the census counts. Now, again, they're not unaware of it, and I'm sure some yeah. people think that way. Um, and it's 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 certainly a side effect that they're happy about. But like, I, I don't think it's what started the whole thing. I, I, I think okay. their their psychology is just different than yours.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's that's a very interesting way of putting it, and i i put a, I put some stock in that, a great deal of stock in that. It's 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 another way of saying it, in a way that I've said it. You know, they they're very a very feeling group of people, and I think conservatives tend to be more fact based in in many regards. But having said that, all right, before I let you go, you've you've calmed me down in a little bit, uh, but I I do want to know what you think is the most significant issue that Congress is dealing with right now. Here we are late May, 2023.
2: Well, at this very moment, uh, obviously it's the debt ceiling negotiations. And, um, you know, I think Democrats are on their heels on this one because they have yet to offer a counter to what we've already passed out of the house. They're, they're trying their best to manipulate the narr- the public narrative and say, you know, we're, we're, we're sending us to a default and we're, we're literally not because we already passed a debt ceiling increase out of the House. We already passed it weeks ago. So, right. you know, right. the, the, the Democrats can, can say all the lies they want, um, but they've got to come back with a reasonable counteroffer. And their counteroffers so far seem insane um, compared to what we've done. So I think we I think Republicans did a good job and we've done a good job ever since we took over the House of saying, look, if we're, we're going to pass these big bills, but we're going to be able to actually explain the, uh, what's in them. And and why they're good. And, and that's it, that's that seems like a simple point to make, but it's not because oftentimes what happens is, you know, we we get ahead of ourselves and especially the Democrats do this all the time. They they put very extreme things in their bills. And I remember being the minority as Democrats would pushed their bills out. And I'd say, well, this is easy to argue against. And, and it always struck me like if you just took out X, Y and Z, it would be harder for me yeah. to, to tell people why I'm against it. You know, but you made it easy for me, and so I always yeah. learn from that. Like when we push our bills forward, it shouldn't we shouldn't make it easy for them to argue against it. We have to make it simple and concise and and and, and common sense, right? And I, and I think with HR one and H so far we've done two major bills, um, the border bill and and the energy bill, and and I and I always know that we're in the right place because Democrats have to lie about them in order to right. counter argue us, and they're lying about the debt ceiling negotiations right now too. So that tells me that we did a good job coming up with policy demands that are reasonable and easy to explain to the American people and popular. And they are popular. Right. I mean, we're, we're talking work right. requirements and, you know, put spending back to where it was five months ago. Like this is this is not some crazy, crazy. No, this idea. is not
1: cruel. This is not cruel and unusual but, punishment. It's kind of common sense stuff that I, I it, it's hard to believe it. It it got flipped over in the first place. But please continue.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, okay, well, just another number of things we're we're demanding, you know, you get rid of this, this, this debt, the student debt cancellation scheme, like like defund these 87,000 IRS agents, right? We don't need to appropriate that money. You're not going to find 87,000 people to hire anyway, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, I know if every other business is having trouble getting workers, I think the IRS will, too. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's clawing back COVID money that hasn't been yeah. spent yet and never will be spent. So just just add that, you know, put that towards um, uh, lowering our deficit. I mean, this is very common sense stuff. It doesn't hurt anyone. And the Democrats act like it's, you know, it's, it's time to go to the streets and set everything on fire. I mean, It's just they're yeah. acting crazy about it.
1: Yeah, yeah as you can see, the dog is very much in agreement with you. Um, he is he gets definitely it. He gets uh, it. chiming. In. He gets it. He gets it. And he is not a rhino. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and that, so that is a, certainly a domestic issue on the international front uh, on the, you know, foreign policy front. What is there anything that keeps you up at night or are you that calm a guy as you appear to be?
2: Huh. Um, you know, up at night. I don't know. i I'll, I'll I won't give you an answer you, you don't really expect. I think it's I, like, I think our, our tactical near-term threat is the cartel issue. Our mm-hmm. long-term threat is, is China and the sort of near peer adversarial relationship with China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, this sort of, you know, this, this axis of countries that, 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 really want a different world order, a world order where they, they, they don't have to, to make a deal with another country, um, to, to get what they want, where they, a, a world order where they can just invade that mm-hmm. country to get what they want. People ask, oh, why, why support Ukraine? What, what interest do we have there? Well, you know, you got to pick your head up out of the sand and realize that you live in a very small world. And if, if, and if you and if you establish a world where people can just take over another country because they want something, well, they're going to continue doing it. And eventually the the big guy in the room, the United States, is, is going to have to get involved in a very serious way. So we can prevent that with sending over some old weapons and having some other people do the fighting for us. And meanwhile, it could basically defeat the military of a strategic adversary. That seems like a really good deal. And by the way, China's watching that. And, um, yes. you know, deterring Russia and Ukraine is directly related to deterring Chinese aggression throughout the Pacific and cutting off our supply chains and our, our access to solar, uh, semiconductors and our access to the world's mm. largest, um, uh, shipping lanes. So it, it, people have to have a, a better understanding of global economics. Um, I think in our country, and, a, and that, that would, that would make our foreign policy discussions a little bit more, um, you know, nuanced and informed, and, and help people understand like why why do we have people like me deployed all over the world all the time? People don't understand that. They really don't understand that. And and I have to tell them like that's not national defense. Just having me waiting on the beach with my my rifle scope, waiting for the Ruskies to come. You know that's that's not the modern world. It hasn't been for actually a couple hundred years. Hasn't been that way. Uh, national security is global all the time, and that is the world you live in. So you know, strong national defense is what allows you to live the life that you live. And that life has been very unique over the past 70 years. People have no appreciation for what the world was like before World War II it was constant warfare Uh, and
1: yeah. And and I just hope we don't get back to something that, okay, you wanted a reminder. Okay, well, here you go. We're going to have a reminder. I really hope we don't have to go there. People need to watch more world war two films and, and read a little bit more too. That would be good. Uh, and, and again, Mm -hmm. one of the books I would recommend fortitude, very good stuff. And, uh, yeah. I can't recommend it highly enough. So Congressman Dan Crenshaw from Texas, I so appreciate, appreciate your time today. Thank you very, very much.
2: Of course. Michelle, so thanks for having me. Good talking to you.
1: You got it. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Don't forget to be brave and do good. And we'll see you next time.